0: Please do keep Psalm 110 open as we come to study this short Psalm together this evening. During her long life, Queen Elizabeth II only ever personally endorsed one book about herself, and it was this book. Some of you maybe have it on your shelves at home The Servant Queen and the King She Serves. It was published in 2016 uh, to celebrate the Queen's 90th birthday. It was published by the Bible Society along with an an organisation called HOPE and the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Uh, Hundreds of, maybe thousands of books written about the Queen, but she only endorsed this one personally. She wrote the foreword for this book, and as I went back and glanced through it uh, a few days ago, I was absolutely kicking myself for not looking at it before our communion season last week, uh, because in the foreword uh, the Queen, in this book, she quotes a poem which would have been uh, very fitting for what we were considering last Lord's Day. It's a poem that was quoted by her father, King George the Sixth, during his Christmas Day broadcast in 1939. And a few lines from the poem read as follows. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be better to you than another light and safer than a known way. In the foreword, the Queen also said to her readers and supporters, I have been and remain very grateful to you for your prayers and to God for his steadfast love. I have indeed seen his faithfulness. The servant queen and the king she served, the only book she cared to endorse about her life. Well, Psalm 110 tells us about our queen's king. Psalm 110, depending on how you count these things, but Psalm 110, according to some commentators, is the most quoted piece of Old Testament scripture in the New Testament. One preacher has tallied up. 27 direct or indirect quotations of this psalm in the New Testament. Psalm 110 verse 1 is quoted in every gospel as well as the book of Acts because the apostles as they began preaching about Jesus after he ascended into heaven they saw more clearly than ever before how this psalm promised Jesus all those years before he came how it described him and how it was fulfilled in him. Psalm 110 is alluded to in the letters of Paul and Peter. Its themes are central in the book of Hebrews and in the climax of Revelation. And so the climax of scripture itself. The early church went back to this psalm all the time. Adoring it, singing it, sharing it. And that's because this psalm is all about Jesus Christ. Matthew Henry, the Puritan commentator, He writes, this psalm is pure gospel. It is only and wholly concerning Christ. Charles Spurgeon, every Presbyterian's favourite Baptist, he says, David is not the subject of this psalm in even the smallest degree, but Christ is all. This magnificent song of praise shows us four things about our late Queen's King and our King, Jesus Christ. So first of all, we see this evening that Jesus Christ is a seated king. He is a seated king. The psalm begins with Almighty God making a a decisive declaration. Verse 1. The Lord, notice the block capitals there in the English translations. That means this is God. This is Yahweh, the God of Israel. The Lord says to my Lord. Notice there the smaller letters in the second Lord. And that means that this is a royal figure or a ruler. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So God tells a ruler, a king to sit. Who is this? Well, you might think the psalm was written by King David back in the Old Testament era. Perhaps David is talking about himself here. Talking about the fact that God made him king over Israel. Israel. But the New Testament, which of course is our, is our most reliable and it's our, our first port of call as a commentary on the Old Testament. The New Testament tells us that David wasn't speaking about himself. We read earlier Acts 2 verse 34 as Peter preached at Pentecost. He quotes this psalm and says, For David did not ascend into the heavens. But he himself says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So in other words, Peter says David was speaking about someone else. David was speaking about a king who had finished a great task and who had ascended body and soul into heaven. And who had been told to sit down by God the Father at his right hand. David did not do that. He was talking, of course, about the Messiah His son, the one that God had promised to him. Who would reign over his people and bring salvation. And as he writes this psalm, David, full of the Holy Spirit, looks forward. When he first wrote the psalm, he was looking forward to the day. When this great king and Messiah would not only have come to do his work. But would have finished his work. And ascended into heaven. See friends, a king seated is a king at rest, a king enjoying peace. The health and fitness experts will tell you that we all do far too much sitting these days. Uh, Once every hour, if I haven't already stood up, uh, by 10 to the hour, my watch will buzz and tell me to stand and move about for a minute uh, because it's it's better for you to be standing than just sitting for hours on end. Sitting should really be saved for the completion of a task. The farmer comes in from a busy day in the yard. His favourite chair is waiting for him. The kettle is on the boil. The rare breed is on the TV. He can sit. His work is done. Or a ruler ascends to his or her throne for their coronation. As Queen Elizabeth did in June 1953, as King Charles will do most likely sometime next year. And what do they do? They, they sit on their throne. They have arrived. There's enough, their nation is at peace or it's at peace enough for them to sit. Their position has been decided. And Jesus Christ, friends, is pictured for us in this psalm, seated on the throne of heaven because his work on earth is finished. As he died on the cross, that's what he said. He said, it is finished. Three days later, he rose again. Forty days after that, he ascended into heaven. And Psalm 110 tells us what happened next. He sat down at the right hand of his father. Jesus has earned his seat. He has done his work. He is resting and reigning On the throne of heaven. But notice, friends, Jesus is not going to sit forever. Look at the end of verse one. Until until I make your enemies your footstool. The picture there is of enemies completely destroyed, powerless, defeated. Jesus will stay seated until the day that God the Father calls him to return to this world and finally put down his enemies completely for good. We'll think more about that later. And it's emphasised to us by what David says in verse 2. The Lord sends forth from Zion, your mighty scepter. Your mighty scepter. On the front cover of some of the newspapers last Friday morning, uh, including the Times, there was... A photo of the late queen at her coronation in 1953 and she was holding an orb and a scepter. It's a golden staff, a visible sign and symbol of a ruler's might and power and authority. And this iron scepter pictured for us in Psalm 110 in Jesus' hands is very significant. It appears every so often throughout the scriptures uh, at, at interesting moments. Uh, The the patriarch Jacob, for example, prophesying over his sons. He prophesies over his son Judah in Genesis 49 verse 10. And he says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. In other words, it was a prophecy that the kings uh, of Israel would come from the line of Judah. As indeed they did, King David and King Jesus included. Scepter appears again in Psalm 2 verse 9, which we sang earlier. And then again in Revelation 19 verse 15 Revelation 19:15 speaks about a, a rider coming on a white horse to destroy his enemies and it says he will rule them with a rod of iron But until that day comes friends Jesus is seated He is to use a, a presbyterian word he is in session because his most difficult work His most costly work on the cross is done. The body of Queen Elizabeth has been lying in state for several days now in London. Hundreds of thousands of people have been coming to look at it and pay their respects. There have been some very emotional scenes. People have been taking comfort in the belief that the Queen is now at rest, albeit uh, there have been some mixed up uh, notions and Descriptions of where the Queen might be now and and various misunderstandings about that. But uh, indeed we do believe that she is at rest. Not because her body is in a beautiful location. But because her soul, we believe, is with her King. The one who has finished the work of redeeming sinners like her and like us. The one who is alive, body and soul, ruling and reigning from his throne in heaven. Do you know this king? Do you believe in the importance of the work that he came to do? Do you rejoice that that work is now finished? And that he sits in glory. King of kings and Lord of lords. A sitting king. I want to think secondly about the servants of the king. The servants of the king. Look at verse 3. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. Every king or queen has an army. And what David describes here is an army of volunteers, willing servants, people who gladly step forward and say, I will serve this king. I belong to this king. This king is my king. You've heard a lot of people, I'm sure, uh, comment in these past few days that this was the only queen they ever knew. Well, this is the only king that we ever need to know or to serve. David says they were in holy garments. And again, that language is found all over the New Testament. Uh, It becomes a picture for us of being covered in in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the perfection of Jesus. This is what he gives to all of us who belong to him. It's as though we were standing before God in filthy, stinking clothes. And Jesus Christ instead clothes us with Perfect, shining, white robes. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, put off the old self and put on holiness. And so he uses that language of clothing. Clothe yourselves in holiness if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's the language that David uses here. And similarly, Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Another way of saying that is what David says here. That we are to give ourselves into the king's service. We're to live in a way that pleases our king. That promotes the king. That's the right response if you understand who Jesus is and what he has done. You're willing to sacrifice anything for him. You're willing to do anything. Go anywhere. You're eager to obey. I'm a bit baffled by all those thousands of people in London waiting all those hours. But I also have a great measure of respect for them. That's how much they care about their queen. Some of them have gone through the queue more than once, believe it or not. Queuing for hours and hours. That's what they're willing to do for a monarch who is now gone. What are we willing to do in the service of our living king? Our late queen was a woman of humility and sincerity. A remarkable woman in so many ways. Yet many of the people grieving at this time, they didn't know her personally. They they never got to meet her. They never spoke to her. Why has it caused... Such an outpouring of grief, then, such a show of dedication and respect for her. Well, part of the answer, I believe, friends, is that something within all of us longs for a leader. We want someone or something to follow. And she stood out because she was such a great example to so many people. In the eyes of some people, she never faltered publicly. And people are left thinking, well, who else is there like that at the minute? Slim pickings, perhaps, amongst our political leaders and other would-be leaders of our nation. And something in our human psyche, flawed and sinful though it is, naturally looks out and away from ourselves for someone or something to serve. And if it's not some exemplary public figure, uh, then many people increasingly are serving only themselves themselves. My opinions must be heard. My tastes must be satisfied. My identity is what matters most and must be accommodated. Many people today are in a a one person army living for their own glory. What about you this evening? Whose name do you live for? Whose greatness do you worship? Who is your king? King Jesus calls out to you today and he says, as we considered last week, I am the light of the world. I am the king of kings. I provide for all my people everlasting life. And to follow him is to live, as the psalm says here, a holy life. Boys and girls, you maybe hear that word holy used sometimes in church and think, what does that word holy mean? Are any of us really able to be holy? Well, boys and girls and adults as well, the word holy simply means different. Different from most people around you. By the way that you speak, by the way that you obey your parents, perhaps, by the things that you do, the places you go to, the places you won't go to, the things that you look at or don't look at on your phone or TV. Our laptop screen. Our priorities are different if we're in the army of this king. Our speech is different. Our actions are different. And sometimes that will cost us the world's respect. The world just won't understand why we are different. But, Christian friends, be encouraged. We're not alone, we're part of a huge army, a far bigger group of people than those who have been uh, joining that queue in London these, these last few days. A multitude that no one can number. The army of a great and glorious and risen king. Notice how David describes the coming of the Messiah to be with his people. At the end of verse 3 he says the Jew of your youth will be yours. Uh, Jew and youth those are pictures of refreshment and energy. And in the day when Jesus Christ returns friends. The day that his rule and reign and power are on full display. You will not be feeling foolish for having followed him. Every sacrifice you made in the service of your king will be worth it. No matter what reaction you got at the time from the world. You will be, you will be victorious. And your king will welcome you home. The Seated king, the servants of the king. Thirdly, the service of the king. <clears throat> the service of the king. Although Jesus is indeed sitting down today because he finished his work on the cross of offering up his life for our sins. He is still occupied with other work, if we could call it work. And that is his his work, his service as our great high priest. Verse 4 gives us the second of the two declarations of God in this psalm. The second thing that God says. He says to his chosen Messiah in verse 4, you are a priest forever after the order of. Of Melchizedek, you might think who is Melchizedek? Why is his name suddenly mentioned in this psalm? Well, you might remember that in on one occasion uh, Abraham came across this man called Melchizedek. He's described in Genesis fourteen verse eighteen as king of Salem and priest of God Most High. Melchizedek is the only person in the Old Testament who's described as both a king and a priest. Usually, those jobs were. Separated, you couldn't be a king and a priest uh, most of the time in uh, in, in, in the ancient uh, in Israel. Uh, and Melchizedek appears all of a sudden in the life of Abraham. He's mentioned here in Psalm 110, and then he doesn't appear again until the Book of Hebrews and Chapter Five. And there is mystery surrounding Melchizedek and where he came from and where he went and so forth. But some of that mystery is revealed in Jesus. Because just as Melchizedek, in a sense, had no beginning. No beginning that's recorded in the scriptures. Jesus, of course, has had no beginning. He is God from all eternity. And just as Melchizedek was a high priest, Jesus, today, is our great high priest. And friends, he is still carrying out the service of a priest. The job of a priest is to be the mediator, the representative between God and man. Who better to do that than Jesus Christ, God who became a man? That's why every other high priesthood, be it Jewish or supposedly Christian today, is completely illegitimate. We don't talk of church uh, leaders or officers as being priests today. Jesus is our great high priest. He is our only great high priest. And he still represents us today, this very moment, to the throne of God in heaven. Hebrews four fifteen. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Friends, Jesus, though he is reigning over us as our king, he is also serving us as our great high priest. He is our perfect representative to God the Father. As long as Jesus is in heaven, there is a reason for God the Father to listen to our prayers and to accept us in his sight. We belong to him because of our high priest. Another thing I'm sure you've heard remarked upon if you followed any of the coverage at all is the devotion to service that the Queen exhibited. That she made this vow when she was just 21 years old that her whole life would be devoted to serving her subjects. Queen Elizabeth cannot serve her subjects anymore. Death has ended her devotion to us. But she herself is still served And all of us who are Christians are still served by our king in heaven. Psalm 110 verse 4. You are a priest forever. Forever. Again friends that means we will never be turned away. When we come to God the father in the name of Jesus Christ. And even now our high priest he is serving us by taking our prayers in his hands as it were. And perfecting those prayers before they are presented to the throne of God the Father. We thought about this a couple of weeks ago in Revelation. Remember the illustration of a little girl. Gathering up a bundle of flowers to bring to her mother. And uh, the, the minister sees her doing this. And helps her to take out the weeds and the dirt. From the, from the little bundle of flowers. So that they are more beautiful. When her mother receives them. And that is what our high priest is doing for us. He is perfecting our prayers. Before they are presented to God. Remember that when you're struggling to pray tomorrow morning or on Thursday morning or whenever it may be this week. Remember that when you wonder, should I bother praying at all? Remember your great high priest will hear you and help you and represent you. When you wonder whether you will come to the midweek and pray about the giving out of God's word in our community this week, remember that as ordinary and as ineffective as we feel, we have a great high priest perfecting our prayers Doing more than we can ask or imagine. Here is one of the many ways, friends, that our King excels and outstrips any other leader, ruler, as exemplary as they may be. None of them can serve us in the ways that King Jesus does. He is our greater King. He is a seated King. We've thought about the servants of the King, the service of the King. And finally, this evening, I want to consider the second coming of the king. The second coming of the king. The whole scene of Psalm 110 changes in the last few verses. Look at David's language in verse 5. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. Verse 6. He will fill nations with corpses when he judges them. He will shatter chiefs. There's a warning. About our coming king, it's interesting uh, last week in London, Cardiff, Edinburgh, and Belfast, the sad news about our queen was officially proclaimed that she had passed away. By contrast, we live in a time now when good news is to be proclaimed about our king, and indeed that 's the purpose. Of uh, our lives as Christians to be proclaiming that our King lives, that he forgives sin, that he saves men and women and boys and girls from death and hell and judgment. That's what's to be proclaimed about our King today. But the day will come when the love and grace of King Jesus is proclaimed no more. Instead, the last trumpet, which we haven't studied yet in Revelation, but the last trumpet will sound... And our king will return as judge. The psalm ends with triumph. Verse 7. He will lift up his head. He will lift up his head. And the picture there is of lifting up your head in victory. If you can lift up your head at the end of the battle. It means you're victorious. On the day Jesus died on the cross. His head was bowed to the ground. He was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was shamed. On the day he returns, his head will be lifted in victory. And the question this evening is, are we ready for that day? Are we looking forward to that day? We all know deep down that that day is coming. The only question is, will we be ready for it? those who waited patiently outside Buckingham Palace or Hillsborough Castle uh, this past week, they were eager and they were ready. They wanted to see their new king. Maybe they even thought about what they would say to him if they got the chance. Have you thought about what you will say when Jesus the judge appears in glory? Why he should take you into heaven with him? Why you should get to be with him forever? Of course, there's only one answer to that, and it's not anything that we have done or achieved or deserved. It's only because of what he has done for us. Dear friend, if you have not yet bowed your knee before King Jesus, confessed him as your king, volunteered your services in his army, do it today. He is the greatest king imaginable. He leaves all others far in the shade. Even our servant queen knew that there was one above her and greater than her. Do you? Do you know him? Do you love him? Is the queen's king your king? Amen.